I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's show, we unfortunately begin with a discussion of the mass shooting that took place in, in Uvalde, Texas. The details are beyond horrific, and I share the essentials and only the essentials, hopefully. The left, especially President Biden, instantly politicized the massacre using the dead children and grieving families to push political positions that we all knew they had before the shooting. One item I did not mention, though, that is worth bringing up is that it does look like the Border Patrol probably was responsible for putting an end to the mass shooting, but the details are still trickling out. We'll report all those for you at Breitbart News, so I recommend everyone go to the website, stay up to date with the latest. Then we discussed the results of Tuesday's primary elections. It was a rare, awful night for President Trump. He's endorsed candidates in the past that didn't win, but not like this, and I explain why. Hopefully, he uses the tough results to sharpen his skills, and I also give the results of other key races. Then we get into some additional headlines revealing shocking government waste, a foiled ISIS plot to assassinate George W. Bush, and much more. Senator Joni Ernst is the podcast guest today. We get her reaction to the Texas massacre, and then we get her reaction to Biden's reaction, which was to blatantly divide the country. Then we talk to her about a new bill she has introduced that would allow for states to use federal funds to build the border wall rather than having taxpayers pay to guard unused materials that were supposed to be used for the wall, which is literally what we're doing now. It's so logical, yet it's also so unexpected. Then I get her to defend her disappointing vote on the extra $40 billion for Ukraine. You'll definitely want to hear her explanation. All that's come on the show. Let's get into it. I guess we'll begin, unfortunately, not with uh, election news, which is more entertaining and amusing, but with the uh, horrific shooting that took place in Uvalde, Texas, which left 19 children and two adults dead as of right now, which is maybe the worst mass shooting since Sandy Hook. Uh, These students were elementary school students and uh, teachers and more people were wounded in the process. Um, details are, of course, not totally settled at this point. And I hate talking about this stuff. I hate leading the show with it. And I've made a point at Breitbart.com to try to not cover mass shootings as best we can. And it's one of those ones where this rose to a level where I think for our role is trying to inform the public as best we can and sometimes provide a counterbalance to the increasingly politicized establishment news. Uh, we have to cover it. We have to do our best try to give you what's going on. Uh, we did have to cover this uh, quite a bit uh, of uh, a big deal. But this is a mass slaughter, and it was done by a true lunatic and a true lunatic who decided killing the smallest children, the most innocent people among us, was a good move. And uh, there's no doubt that the amount of media coverage that we will see will be uh, increase these things, and there will be more that will come afterwards. Uh, it, it's hard to see if there's anything that is worth taking away from all of this, but we do know that one thing is clear, that the people who are in charge right now, in particular Joe Biden, 
are not equipped to handle things like this for a country that's grieving, that's in pain, and that's very upset deeply by what's going on here. Joe Biden immediately came out and tried to divide the country as much as humanly possible, saying, why do we keep letting this happen? As if this is not about one lone lunatic, perhaps encouraged by our establishment media who lauds in a way the people who do these things, lavishes them with coverage, makes them famous. Um, but he, uh, I guess, blames all of you and all the rest of us. So he said that I'd hoped I became president that I would not have to do this again, Biden says. He's a victim of it. He's a victim of it all. To lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away, fair enough. But then he goes on to say, why? Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone? It's time to act. Then he called out political leaders who vote to protect the Second Amendment by opposing gun laws. So we need to let you know that we will not forget. We can do so much more. We have to do more. So immediately, not a minute. There's not a minute to grieve. There's not a minute to be classy. There's not a minute to not capitalize politically on the death of a, a bunch of children. Hollywood, of course, embarrass themselves. F the GOP and their obsessions with guns. One person after the next, after the next coming out. Alyssa Milano, F the GOP. F you, Ted Cruz. F you, Joe Manchin. And F you, Senator Sinema. Rob Reiner, the blood of every child that dies of gun violence in this country is in the hands of the Republican Party. Um... Julianne Moore, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Rosanna Arquette, Elizabeth Banks, Stephen King, many, many, many others, Rosie O'Donnell. list goes on. A lot of people, a lot of your favorites. A lot of F-words flying around on Twitter. That'll make a big difference. So, of course, there's no adjustments that can be done that can uh, try to protect kids who are in school. Just a blind rage at the Second Amendment. That's the issue. And that's immediately where we went, and it was led by the people who are in power right now. So uh, just truly horrific, truly horrific. And, uh, of course, our heart goes out to all the families who are involved. Uh, it appears that the person who is the shooter, murderer, was a BIPOC, so we will not get the white supremacy rants, so we will merely focus on the Second Amendment rants. I mean, he was a person of color, not a white person. So uh, we'll get that going. Um, the FBI has reported that there has been a, there have been 61 active shooter incidents reported in, 20, in 2021, a 52% jump from 2020. So this is suggesting what I've said, which is that these things do seem to happen in bunches and they seem to happen as the media gets more obsessed with it because we now know very clearly that the more we talk about stuff, then uh, the, the more it encourages people to move on. People like it. And I could have told you, I'm sure I said it on the show and I certainly said it over and over again in private Breitbart newsroom that after what happened in Buffalo took place in the supermarket, this is going to lead to more. Because the media was so on top of that, they loved it. 
they savored it. They wanted so badly to blame people who like the Second Amendment, who like guns. Republicans. Not strong enough laws. They want more power for the state. And people who don't agree with that were blamed. People who are white people were blamed, of course, as well. Which, of course, was connected to some of the horrific racism of the one individual responsible for it. It was seen as uncouth even a mere decade ago, especially 15 years ago when Joe Biden had been in public life for a mere 40 years instead of the 75 he's been in public life now, uh, where you wouldn't have done what he did yesterday. He'd be embarrassed. His whole family should be embarrassed. Everyone who voted for him should be embarrassed. Not a minute. You can't have a minute to grieve. You have to immediately jump on whatever is your politics to shore. So despite the, all the gun controls they attempt to put in place in this country, as far as we know, the guns were bought legally. Barack Obama criticized the gun lobby. He, again, he talked about the, the deer and Kevlar vests. This is a bizarre thing we've made fun of him for in the past. But he has this idea that deer need Kevlar vests. What in God's name do we need an assault weapon to... For ex- except to kill someone, deer aren't running through the forest with Kevlar vests on, for God's sake. Then he called for an assault weapons ban. High capacity magazines that hold up to 100 rounds. Do you think deer are wearing Kevlar vests? Oh yeah, that's from the State of the Union. So, I, it, it, again, it's such a weird guy, an odd guy. We deserve better. At least I think we deserve better. I think we deserve better. Sometimes I wonder if we do deserve better anymore. Got to admit, got to admit it. We don't seem to rise to the occasion anymore. And uh, you got to blame the people at the top. Joe Biden is a number one. Michael Moore calls for a moratorium on gun sales and to repeal the Second Amendment. Nice. Kamala Harris had some word salad. And he says, we need the courage to take action. Boo, she's bold. As a nation, we have to have the courage to take action and understand the nexus between what makes for reasonable and sensible public policy to ensure something like this never happens again. Of course, she's talking about gun control. You can bet it. All right, Republicans are to blame, guns are to blame. What's the plan, though? Are we going to have people with guns round up all the guns and then try to incinerate the guns or confiscate the guns so the state can use them? I don't know if that's practical. and I don't think practical is what's rewarded right now. It's part of the thing that I hate about social media so much. And I benefited from social media in a career sense, and that Breitbart does very well in social media. Uh, we're in some some days, it feels like we're dominant on the various platforms. But I have to admit is that you get congratulated for a great tweet and not for something that's practical, pandering to people who are the most passionate online, who are most inclined to share your content. Uh, that is not how you govern. So would anyone like to have some sort of a actual forum where we talk about what are the possibilities to deal with individuals like this monster who decided executing 
nine and 10 year olds was an appropriate way to live your life. I would love to hear something productive, but unfortunately that might involve things like actually more guns. It might involve things like having security guards in schools who are armed, who are ready to quickly take out monsters like this. It might involve having the FBI focus less on, uh, I don't know, parents who don't like critical race theory and more on monsters who are potentially going to shoot up elementary schools. But can we even talk about that stuff? No, probably not, because we all that is not politically expedient. What's politically expedient is to get on Twitter and to rage at Republicans in the NRA, et cetera, and AR-15s, and to call for things that won't happen, even if we banned, started to have some sort of a massive level of gun control that's new, beyond what we already have, which is more than you'd probably think in a lot of cases, not in Texas necessarily, then what's the plan? We've got hundreds of millions of guns in the country. How do you round them up other than you take the state, which increasingly people don't respect, and you have them show up your door with at your door with big guns and try to take your guns from you? I don't want to know how that would go. And since we no longer talk to each other, which I warned about in breaking the news, if we stop dialoguing, what could come next is probably worse than not dialoguing. You could do the math. All right, it was election day, and as predicted, it was a tough one for Donald Trump. And that's interesting because I mentioned yesterday that Trump lost a straw poll in Wisconsin to Ron DeSantis for president. And lots of people who Trump did not endorse ended up winning. Uh, in particular, Georgia was the big one where Governor Kemp won in a landslide over David Perdue. And that happened very quickly. Um, also, Brad Raffensperger, which is disgraceful, won his nomination again against a Trump-backed candidate. Much tighter race there, but still Raffensperger held on, which uh, Georgia, you should be embarrassed on that one. That guy stinks. Other races that we tracked at Breitbart.com in Alabama, the three-way U.S. Senate primary over there saw Katie Britt and Mo Brooks advancing to a runoff, which was to be expected as of probably last week or two. But pretty huge news, considering Mo Brooks had Trump's endorsement, was in a distant third. And then Trump yanked his endorsement, and then Brooks got into the runoff. So, of course, uh, everyone knows who listens to this show with regularity. Mo Brooks is someone I'm, I'm a big supporter of. So, good to see him pull this off. Stacey Abrams will get a rematch against Kemp. Looking forward to that. Should be good. Herschel Walker won in a landslide. Clinton, Georgia's U.S. Senate Republican primary could be a star in the making. Uh, Ken Paxton, friend of the show, I would say, who is, and it was in a really interesting race in Texas because he defeated Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush, the son of failed presidential candidate Jeb Bush, and he won by enough to avoid any additional runoffs. Um, Paxton is someone who has led the fight against big tech uh, as the most powerful Republican attorney general in the country. That said, George P. Bush, of all of the Bushes, is probably the one I like the most, which is essentially being, you know, the world's tallest bitch, as the expression goes. 
not I can't say there's any other bushes <laughs> I would give a thumbs up to overall. Uh, but I was pulling for Paxton and uh, he pulled it off there. Um, Sierra Huckabee Sanders won the Arkansas Republican primary for governor. So she'll cake rock there. She'll be, I think, a uh, she was a star when she was the White House press secretary. One of your pr- favorites in terms of people who shared our content, at the Breitbart newsroom, and that will continue, I'm sure. More interesting ones. John Boozman wins the Arkansas Senate Republican primary. Again, these are names that will become familiar to you because they'll probably become senators. So I'm excited. I'm excited about it. There's a lot of really interesting people, a lot of people whose values that I uh, overlap greatly with this audience. So uh, quite a bit of good news yesterday, unless, of course, you're someone who rides or dies with every Trump endorsement, which is a very tough day for President Trump. The more interesting thing, though, is that the fact that Trump now is making picks that are not winning, particularly just the absolute blowout that took place in Georgia. I mean, the numbers as of now, this will, this will, you guys will think I'm joking, 73.7% for Kemp and 21.8% for Trump. Now, I, I acknowledge Georgia is a peculiar state in some ways, but Kemp won, I think, all but one county. Maybe it'll be eventually all counties. Yeah, it's only because one county, Savannah's not uh, done counting yet. Um, so and probably every county. Uh, it's the it, it is interesting to note that Trump is not an automatic sure shot, even as beloved as he is within the party, even as beloved as he is amongst all of you and amongst all the people who are inclined to show up and vote in a Republican primary race. Uh, it is not a sure shot, to say the least. To endorse a candidate and have the candidate lose by 50% is pretty mind-blowing. And it makes me wonder if there's a crack in the Trump machine. And this could be a good thing, even if you love Trump, because I don't think it's that healthy to have someone automatically get what they want all the time. I think it pushes you to be better if you do have to constantly think about how to improve and how to go forward and not how to uh, uh, just maintain what you've got. Because I was a little bit afraid that Trump is so popular that all he needs to do is maintain most of his coalition and then all, all good, he'll win everything no matter what forever until he decides to ride off into the sunset. Which is fine if you're a big Trump fan, and I am a, and I am a big Trump fan. Revolutionary figure. Someone who deserves a measurable amount of credit. But I don't think overall it's a good thing if he just wins automatically forever and ever and ever and ever. The most drama is going on in the Pennsylvania uh, race still, where Dave McCormick has had some lawsuits that he's trying to go for in order to see whether or not some ballots should count or not count, depending on whether or not the date was written properly on them. And the RNC is not backing him up. So kind of coming down the side of Dr. Oz. And I think the RNC sees this as if McCormick's lawsuits succeed, then it could be ultimately used by Democrats long term. I think that's their logic. But there are certain ballots that McCormick once qualified that have, I think, had the date written wrong on it or weren't written on them. Which I guess logically should be irrelevant, but what does the letter of the law say? Federal coronavirus relief funds were used to pay for 1619 Project Hoaxer Nicole Hannah-Jones' speaking fees. Pretty good. 
the same person who has divided the country in a huge way has came up with a whole hoax history project sponsored by the New York Times, given Pulitzers, New York Times bestselling books, HBO show, all to try to prove to the public how horrible America is. And she gets coronavirus relief funds from this horrible country that we live in. ISIS apparently plotted to assassinate George W. Bush, but check out how they plotted to do it by smuggling terrorists through the open border, which, of course, George W. Bush wanted to keep open, and Joe Biden wants to keep open, and Barack Obama wanted to keep open, and most of the Congress under President Trump wanted to keep open. Trump tried to close it, wasn't effective at it, unfortunately. And the plan is still, especially for those of you out there, I think the wall's done. By the way, this is a heads up. It's not. So uh, that was the plan. Uh, uh, a, an accused ISIS operative living in Columbus, Ohio, allegedly sought to smuggle terrorists through the U.S.-Mexico border to assassinate George W. Bush, according to the FBI. Documents were reviewed by Forbes. Good scoop by Forbes, who normally is just kind of hot take. And it was in November of 2021 where the suspect revealed the FBI his plot to assassinate George W. Bush through our southern border. Pretty amazing. We were mocked uh, at Breitbart for suggesting that Islamo-Nazi radicals could come through our southern border. Many people across conservative media suggesting that why would terrorists try to go through our southern border? Wouldn't do that. Only great people come through our southern border. Only the best. Of course, that was not the case. That's not exactly what happened. So uh, you got that going. The the Washington Post claimed that George Floyd, who I think died on this day, yeah, Wednesday, May 25th, two-year anniversary of his murder. He was shot and killed by police in police custody, according to the Washington Post. The Washington Post has a Pulitzer Prize-winning database that tracks police shootings. It's the most comprehensive of its kind. And it's riddled with errors. And no one's really kind of tracked down all the errors and uh, enumerated them, which is a project that's probably worth undertaking for some some industrious individual. But uh, the, the Washington Post has a Pulitzer Prize winning database tracking police killings and uh, notes that uh, George Floyd was shot and killed in police custody, which is obviously not true. Uh, pretty unbelievable. Never shot. Died of cardiopulmonary arrest. Not to mention the autopsy found some things that were quite contrary to what the establishment media wanted to find in them. Any coronavirus, by the way. Not to mention toxicology report that yeah, he'd been on a bunch of drugs. Not to say there's any excuse for kneeling on a guy's neck for eight minutes. I've never excused it. And I never will. But that said, that uh, was used by our establishment media, like so many other stories mentioned today and every single day in the show, to divide the country. That's why uh, I say that the news is broken. Joy Reid said, probably tongue-in-cheek, but also kind of a repulsive comment on MSNBC, that Canada and Mexico should build border walls to protect themselves from the U.S. I told you they hate this country. The left hates this country. Not liberals, the left, but the left has taken over the Democrat Party. They are in charge.
Yeah. So did Senator Joni Ernst is our guest today and someone who I really do uh, enjoy talking to, one of the people in Washington who I do feel like is in it for the right reasons, not to say that I agree with her all the time, uh, in particular her recent vote for the $40 billion for Ukraine, and we do discuss that in the interview. Uh, we also get her thoughts on the massacre in Texas, and most importantly, she's doing some really important work to try to secure our border and at least raise awareness about the ongoing crisis there uh, beyond what uh, you know those of us in conservative media are able to do. So here she is, Senator Joni Ernst. Senator, thanks so much for joining me on the broadcast today. We have a lot to get to that's in Washington, but it is one of those shows where the whole world is talking about one issue, unfortunately, and these are things I tend to like to avoid, but there was, of course, mass shooting that took place in Texas, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if you had any thoughts on it. Are there any lessons to be learned? Is there anything productive we can take from these things, or is it just simply time to uh, grieve and be sad and be mournful? Well, I I think we all are extremely mournful this morning, Alex. And and anytime we hear of something like this, especially when it's children involved, uh, this is pure evil at work is what it is. And and so we need to know a little bit more about the incident, but it is absolutely horrific. Um, so we'll of course um, study what has happened, what was behind this. But it's it's obvious we have an issue across the United States with instability and in people and things that should be recognized and dealt with. Um, so again, there will be more to, to follow uh, as we know more about the individual and what was behind his motivation in taking the lives of these children and these teachers. Uh, it feels like a lot of people, particularly those who believe in the Second Amendment, would, would like to offer something to try to suggest that maybe there's something we can do to try to keep the guns out of the hands of the really bad guys, particularly younger people who don't even have you know fully formed brains yet. Uh, and But it feels like there's a level of distrust for anyone who could potentially enforce anything uh, and that's, I think, what a lot of our concerns are, is that there's this rush to try to do something. And uh, But who will be the enforcers? The enforcers will be the people who couldn't wait five minutes before going onto Twitter and raging about mm -hmm. our country and raging about our Constitution. Uh, we don't want to put those people in charge. So it kind of there's so much bad faith involved here in terms of everyone's reaction to this. There is, Alex. And, uh, you know, we, we do have these God-given rights here in the United States, and that is always a fear, is that there will be someone in government, someone that's not trusted, uh, someone that will come in and start gradually stripping away the rights of individuals, law-abiding citizens. And that's the great fear, is that so many of these, with the, a knee-jerk reaction, are they want to punish people that follow the law, ignoring the fact that many times um, weapons are secured by people that should not legally own them. Um, so we have to be very, very careful as we think through what our government can and should do, uh, especially when it affects those that follow the law to the letter. Um, we certainly don't want to punish them or take away their rights for being good citizens. Uh, so this is a, a 
contentious issue. We know that it is it's a difficult one to tackle. Um, but uh, you know, we talk, and I hear all the time from the left about gun control measures and take away guns, and that affects again the law-abiding citizens. But very rarely do I hear them talk about what's the what's the motivation, what is the driving issue behind this. There obviously is a mental illness with someone that would commit sure. such atrocities, and and we need to address that across the United States as well. Uh, that's where so much of these uh, horrendous acts stem from. Yeah, I have to get your reaction to Joe Biden, who said that we need to stand up to the gun lobby. Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone? Uh, were you surprised that he went this political this quickly and you have any direct reaction to it? No, I, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, we saw it so from so many elected officials yesterday. Um, certainly, we did not know enough about the situation, I think, initially, unless he had more information than, than we did did. Um, and that's possible. Um, but certainly there's always an immediate reaction to strike out at, again, the vast majority of people who are law-abiding citizens. And so it did get very political very quickly when we really should be taking a time out and expressing our sincerest condolences to those uh, families and the broader community that has been affected uh, by these tragic losses. So, um, you know, we need to focus. Let's focus on making sure that those families are, you know, protected and, and supported and then uh, turn our attention to, okay, what was the motivation behind this and how did it happen? So uh, to change gears, arguably the biggest issue facing the country among the many, many big ones is what's happening at our southern border, which is arguably the in the worst shape it's ever been with Title 42 set to go away. And I think it's kind of backdoor been going away anyway, thanks to those who are in charge. Uh, you're trying to address this and you are introducing or have introduced a bill called the Build It Act, which allows states who want to continue building the border wall to use any funds that have thus far been unused or any wall materials. Um, and uh, this is something that I think is pretty clever in some ways, but I want to hear from you what the bill does and what we need to know about it. Well, sure, and thank you. The Build It Act, I did introduce it um, yesterday or earlier this week, and and what it does is it turns over those unused materials that were purchased to construct the southern border barrier to any state along the border that wishes to finish the job. Uh, what we have done, we have purchased these materials. Joe Biden canceled the construction of a border wall along the southern border, calling it a waste of money. But since he canceled that project, the administration has continued paying contractors upwards of $3 million every single day to watch over these unused materials. So why are we paying people to watch materials that will not be used in this administration, according to him? Why don't we turn it then over to the state governments that do wish 
to construct a border wall. Um, we see a, a huge crisis at the border. We see people flowing over the border. Let's please stop them and secure our border. So that's what the Build It Act would do. It allows the states the transfer of those materials to the states as long as they agree to use those materials for the, the purpose of continuing the construction project. So does this have any future and assuming as long as Biden is in there, it's probably pretty limited. Uh, but what do you hope to ultimately accomplish with this act? Ultimately, to actually get a border barrier constructed. Uh, those materials are already purchased. This is not new dollars coming from the federal government. It is to continue a project that was authorized uh, in the President Trump administration, but one that President Biden put a stop to. You would think that any commander-in-chief of the United States of America would want to protect our nation from the flow of illegal guns illegal drugs, um, those migrants that are coming across the border for uh, bad purposes. You would think that that commander-in-chief would want to safeguard our nation, and this is one way to do it, is to construct that barrier to make sure that they are not allowed to cross illegally. Uh, you know, you've identified something, and you've got a knack for doing this, that is just truly outrageous, which is that we're actually paying to guard unused materials rather than just building the wall that uh, so many of us want. Yes, and this is uh, why I gave President Biden my May Squeal Award, because we are, again, paying about $3 million every single day for these contractors to basically sit on those unused materials. And while those materials are lying out there in the desert, we know that there's pilferage as well. Um, so we need to protect the materials that have already been purchased by the federal government and allow the states to use them. Instead, we're wasting much more money every single day. I mean, think about the year and a half now that has passed since he canceled that project, $3 million a day. It's just wasted money, money that is flowing out of our coffers for nothing. Um, so we need to make sure that, one, we construct the border wall, and two, that we put an end to this wasteful spending of $3 million a day. So a, a judge has recently ordered Biden to keep the Title 42 in place. Uh, did you have any hope that Title 42 will be enforced by this administration? Uh, how concerned are you about it? Because it is uh, the, the constantly under attack, it seems like right now. Well, it is, and I do hope that Title 42 stays in place. Um, we know that the purpose of Title 42 is for a public health emergency, and a number of my colleagues, and I believe it's um, Senator Haggerty that has suggested we have a number of amendments regarding Title 42 out there, but I believe it was Bill that actually suggested that we change it um, from that public health emergency that's addressing COVID-19 
and put in place um, drugs uh, because we know we have a fentanyl problem. Uh, a lot of that is coming in at the border. It's coming in from our ports. So we should use Title 42 to enforce that public health emergency because it is a public health emergency. So there are a number of things that we need to address. We need to make sure we're doing it right. Um, We've seen that Chuck Schumer is not bringing up the COVID package that he wanted to bring up because he knows that we could insist on amendments for Title 42. So he's simply trying not to address it um, because he knows the administration wants to do away with Title 42. Um, And that's essentially, you know, we would codify it and put President Biden in a very difficult place. Uh, but, you know, it's it's an issue. We know the border is an issue. It has to be addressed. If Title 42 is lifted, President Biden's own numbers from his own team say that we would see 18,000 illegal migrants crossing the border every single day. This is unacceptable. Yeah. Absolutely unacceptable. Senator Joni Ernst is with me, Republican from Iowa. I want to talk about an exclusive report. We had a Breitbart that half a million migrants have crossed the border in the last 10 weeks. Um, You had a pretty powerful tweet about our Border Patrol agents having an incredibly difficult and dangerous job being the first line of defense. We've been down there recently, and it's clearly the case. We'd send her marshal on. Uh, earlier this week, who was in a rage over what's happening down there? It, it's the. It seems like it could be getting worse than ever. Uh, what do people need to know? And perhaps more importantly for this audience, which has a lot of activists in it, what can people do to try to be a part of the solution? Well, one, we'll we'll start with that. They need to reach out to their members of Congress, and they need to continue to educate the public about what's going on. I I think most of my folks in Iowa understand what's going on at the border. I think every state is now a border state. So if there are activists out there, they need to engage with the public. They need to engage with their uh, elected local community members as well as their federal representatives. That's just the way our government is supposed to work. You know, we hear from constituents on issues that are important to them. This is important to everyone. Last year, we saw over 2 million border crossings. Last year alone, 2 million border crossings. We have 10 states in the United States that don't even have 2 million people in population in those states. So, If you don't think that this is um, going to affect our country because we would have many more people, uh, children in our schools, maybe their parents may or may not be paying taxes to support those children in those schools. I mean, there's just a lot of local implications um, for having that many people that are undocumented coming into the United States. Um, So it is an issue and it affects everyone everyday life for every citizen. You know, we know that they would take advantage of um, health care opportunities. And again, are they then paying those taxes to make sure that those levels of support are paid for? So that's all something. It's, it's why we really do need to focus on an immigration reform. You know, that's great. 
But before we can ever really do that, we have to make sure that the border is secure because what's the use of, of changing immigration law if people are just flowing in and out willy-nilly? Uh, so it, it's an issue that absolutely must be addressed. Every state is a border state. Uh, Senator Joni Ernst, Build It Act seems like one that's worth supporting, so feel free to call your Congress people and uh, encourage them to get behind us. Senator, I know you got to run, but i got to get a quick take on uh, you supported the $40 billion for Ukraine. I- I'm trying to understand why this is a good move right now. It seems like we don't have the money. There's so many crises uh, here. We all like Zelensky for the most part, don't like Putin, but well, why was this the right move to vote, make this vote? Right. And Iowans are basically fed up with the crises that have been brought on by this president's agenda. It's absolutely disastrous, both at home and abroad. Um, So as we look at the package, and they call it the Ukraine um, supplemental package, but what I want folks to understand is that a huge portion of this bill actually went to replenish U.S. stocks of equipment and our own munitions. Um, So this is stuff that had already been sent to Ukraine in a previous package. We really need to make sure that our own national defense is secure. So again, a huge portion of that actually came back to the United States DOD. So, you know, we had already supported Ukraine. Now we're replenishing our own stock. So it's called the Ukraine Supplemental Aid Package, but a huge portion of that comes back to the United States and replenishing our DOD. That's why it's so important. We also provided for food aid, and this is something that a lot of the food aid hasn't even been dispersed from the package in March, so I do have a little bit of an issue with that. But Ukraine does supply a huge amount of food to the Middle East and to Africa, and because they will not be able to do that because of the Russian invasion, then we will start to see instability in these other countries. And if you look at history, when there is uh, food hunger around the world, it does create opportunity for terrorist organizations to rise up, to gain more people because people want to feed their families. They join these violent extremist organizations. And then countries like the United States and our allies in Europe are targeted. It is all about national security. We absolutely must have the oversight in all of these packages that we're passing and make sure that those dollars are going exactly where they are supposed to go. But again, so much of this went to replenishing our own uh, United States military. And that's why I think it's important that we supported this package. Thanks, Senator. Appreciate all the time. I wish I was as confident as you are in the oversight, uh, but that is, um, I guess, I'll I'll keep my fingers crossed. Thanks again, and um, uh, keep us posted whenever you're working on whatever you like. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Yeah, I'm not sure if that explanation to the Ukraine funding bill makes perfect sense to me, but it was good to hear rationale that didn't seem totally insane, I guess. That's somewhat of a comfort, but it just does feel like that we just funded way too much at once. It is notable that I think almost a billion of the $40 billion is going to Joe Biden's efforts to import more Ukrainians into the United States. Inevitably, you're going to get a bunch of crap like that when you have a bill of this size with not that much oversight. Anyway, important to discuss and continue to hold people accountable 
even uh, the good ones. That's all for today's show. Thanks to producers Greg Eben and producer Haley and Bob Marlowe who helps me pick topics and all of you who have told 10,000 friends and family members about the broadcast. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.